0: You're listening to ReachMD XM167, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to part two of a two-part series covering highlights from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions 37th Annual Conference held January 21st through 24th in Orlando, Florida. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, Senior Vice President for Educational Strategy at Prova Education and the host of Lifelong Learning, heard here on ReachMD. Joining us now is Dr. Sharon Confessori, and uh, she talks a lot about uh, learning organizations. She's currently the Director of Change Management and Learning at Bon Secours Health System. Welcome, Dr. Confessori.
1: Thank you very much. Uh,
0: I really found your, your topic and your talk very interesting, and I think it's really important for a lot of our listeners, practicing physicians and other members of the healthcare team, to get a better understanding of what their role could be in their own learning and maybe even in selecting what education is right for them. Could you start off by talking a little bit about that?
1: Certainly. When we think about the learning organization or building a learning culture, all of it starts with the in, all of it starts with the individual. And so, a critical piece of that is to better understand how you learn as an individual. Although there's a lot of science around learning and learning styles, I find that it works best if if people start by paying attention to when they feel best when they're learning. And then that, in turn, helps them understand whether they're more of a social learner, they need to be together with people to talk about what they're doing and make meaning of the conversation, or whether they need time to pause and reflect and take a step back, think about what they're learning, and then um, come back and talk to others about how they've constructed the knowledge that they're working with.
0: Yeah, you know, it's always interesting when I think about um, the types of education that we see available in the CME world. And what's really refreshing to me is you come at it from the educational and learning world rather than from the, uh, the closed CME world that a lot of us live in. And so uh, do you have any observations so far that you've seen that maybe there are areas for uh, improvement or maybe some barriers that you've noticed?
1: Two things come immediately to mind. One is when we become very focused on structuring learning, we tend to lose our attention to trusting the learner. The learner knows best what works for them, and we get so caught up in designing programs and the methodology and the framework that we fail to account for what brings an individual to the table to learn something. and what is important to them, what they need to get out of the experience. So if you think about how we organize a number of our formal programs, we've got a whole list of what our outcomes are. We have absolutely no understanding of what their interest is. And the best learning happens when the interest of the individual matches the outcomes that we've designed the program for.
0: You know, I think about that when I see the hallway discussions and conferences. You know, we're adults, we're self-directed, we know what we want. We don't even realize that what we're doing is learning, but we're doing that exact thing.
1: Absolutely. I think another key dimension to it is how do you certify or credential self-directed learning? It's very hard to count, and it's very hard to quantify. There are ways to do it, but but it's... more challenging than setting up organ, you know, organized, structured programs and events to make that happen.
0: Right. You know, and I, I think one of the, the criticisms of CME sometimes is that uh, there's very little structure and the learners are left on their own to try to find education. And then they're so beholden to points for recertification that they wind up settling for the education that they find. And, and that becomes a challenge or a barrier to exactly what you're saying.
1: Well, and I think we need to be careful about use of the language in terms of education and learning. In my mind, education is organized in some way, formal, structured experiences, process, if you will. Learning can be associated with education, but not necessarily. So we should never confuse an educational experience with whether or not somebody learned.
0: So I I don't know if you've had the opportunity to observe some CME activities, Um, but I wonder if you feel that it's the right level of learning that's taking place or if there's opportunities for CME providers and educators to really develop better practices.
1: That's quite a loaded question because my observation of CME experiences is pretty limited. I will say if CME experiences align with most certification type programs there's lots of opportunities to think differently about the way you organize the learning experience for the professional. When I think about the work that we're doing all over the country to implement electronic medical records and the amount of time, energy and resource that we're pouring into putting people in structured training environments. When, in fact, you may well get a much better outcome by putting a group of people in a room, giving them the system, and an expert, and let them ask questions, figure out how the system works, and sort of write their own guidelines as they go, could be much more effective for those people who learn much better on their own.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that there's a lot of uh, emerging techniques in social learning uh, where we see that exact thing happening. And I think that's the exciting future of learning and education.
1: Absolutely. I, again, getting back to CME, the critical challenge is how do you document it and how do you certify it? And I think that's a wide open, wide open opportunity area for anybody who's thinking about how you might use the social learning and the social networking aspect as the next step of CME.
0: Yeah, we, we had a whole pre-con yesterday on emerging technologies and the uh, applicability to uh, CME. And we have a CME chat on Twitter every week. And these are the topics that come up over and over again. And you know, one of the things you said before really struck me. It's you know, the small group versus the large group. It's just as difficult to, well, it's nearly impossible to document learning in a room of a thousand, but you could document educational participation.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so we we discuss, is the small group better for learning, and is the large group better for just pushing out information? And that's one of the things we look at on a, a regular basis.
1: Absolutely. I think if you shift the focus to creating a learning culture in an organization or in a unit... And you think about the characteristics of a learning organization or a learning culture, two things we know. One is the cycle time for learning has dropped dramatically. A learning organization is a very proactive entity. They're ahead of the curl. They know what the next big thing is going to be. In order to be able to figure out what the next big thing is and then implement it anywhere, requires instead of long lead time project status, it's very short pilots, very quick application, learn as you go, improve as you move. Two things about that change our framework for thinking about learning and professional learning. One is how you capture it, because you're literally capturing the learning as it's being created. So you're capturing it on the fly. And the other is, how do you get it in a format or framework that can then be passed on to others. So it's not only the knowledge creation piece, but it's the knowledge dissemination and knowledge management piece. That's the other side of that. That are particularly challenging opportunities.
0: Well, I think you just answered the question I was about to ask, which is where do you see the future of this going in CME? So, uh, if you have any other thoughts uh, before we wrap up about where what you do and what you know from your world. Um, practicing physicians can sort of think about as they're selecting and thinking about the education they participate in?
1: Three things. One is how is it connected to the goals and the outcomes of the organization in which you find yourself? With healthcare reform, with the sea change and the transformation and how we think about caring for our patients and their families, we are going, any learning that happens necessarily needs to be connected. Because as we think about where our resources are and where our resources are going to go, learning that's not connected or within context of your work is going to be seen largely as extra, interesting, but not necessarily relevant. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that learning is a moving target, and it's going to continue to change. And so you need to be looking at where you're going in the future in terms of your organization, your career, your life, and figure out how you move continually through that process.
0: So with that learning as individual, it's a great way to sum this up. And thank you, Dr. Confessori, for uh, your time uh, today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to part two of conference coverage highlights from the 37th Annual Alliance for Continuing Education and Health Professions Conference. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman. Joining us now is Dr. Nancy Davis, Executive Director of NICI, the National Institute for Quality Improvement in Education, and might I say a mainstay in continuing education for health professions. Nancy, welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
0: So I- I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit uh, about the impact of CME and CE on healthcare professionals and what your take is on how they should be thinking about judging the quality of the education and the activities they participate in.
2: Sure. So the main reason we um, started NICI, the National Institute for Quality Improvement and Education, was to help to integrate healthcare quality improvement and continuing medical education. So it's very important now that with all the performance measurement, quality measurement that's going on in healthcare delivery, that we use that as needs assessment for developing educational activities. So my recommendation would be to really seek out continuing education activities that are based on those performance measures i <laughs>
0: So uh, are you saying that uh, the healthcare professionals really need to look inside before they go outside to find their courses and try to identify their own educational needs and gaps from their own practice setting?
2: Exactly. That's, that's a great um, process, a great approach to it. So we would ask folks to, to take a look at their, their practice profile, for example. What types of patients are they primarily seeing? What are the main issues that their patients have? And then to look at how they're performing against the standard evidence-based performance measures. So if they're identifying gaps in their care, then they should seek out educational activities that help them address those gaps.
0: Uh, How would you recommend that they find the right education for their own needs?
2: Right. So again, if they, if they have a good understanding of their own practice and where their practice gaps are, that should help them. Uh, we're also working with CME providers to really base their educational objectives around performance measures. So if they're describing their CME activities in terms of performance measurement, then that can really help physicians as they're looking for appropriate activities.
0: And I'm assuming this extends beyond physicians to other uh, healthcare professionals?
2: Absolutely. We're really trying to promote a team based approach to healthcare delivery, so, certainly, that includes other members of the healthcare team.
0: Yeah, I'm noticing not only the name change of this organization from medical education to healthcare education, uh, but I'm noticing a a lot of content focused on interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary education, and I think what you're saying fits. Is there a way to really assess team-based needs?
2: Uh, That's a really good question, and a lot of the performance measurement um, really has been focused on physicians. A lot of the incentives or the penalties even uh, for practice uh, performance measurement has really been based on on physicians. And of course, they're very uh, difficult to get engaged in that measurement process. Uh, in hospitals, there's a lot more process measurement, and a lot more nursing services kind of performance measurement. Uh, so the hospitals are really more advanced in that type of quality measurement than we see in ambulatory care, for example. But more and more, we're looking at a team-based approach to measurement as well as healthcare delivery. So I, I think we're moving in that direction, although it's much easier to assess an individual than a team.
0: Sure, you know I, I always think about the uh, the educational continuum, and you're, you're a real medical educationalist I mean you're working with the AAMC now. Uh, how do you see an evolution in that whole continuum of medical education so that the, the folks that are being trained as physicians now will be more likely and ready to participate in self assessment and true reflective education
2: yeah we're, we're definitely seeing that um, as you mentioned I'm working with the Association of American Medical colleges um, and we're really trying to promote that team-based approach in training. It's very difficult, there's there's a real challenge in team-based training, uh, especially at the student level, because the the curricula are so different, they're often housed in different areas, so it's really when we can get them together in the hospital, for example, or even in an ambulatory care setting where we can get the various members of the team together and really work on that team-based approach to uh, training and improvement. So we're seeing movement in that direction for sure, but there's still a lot of challenges with it.
0: So we can sort of wrap this up by, I want to ask you a broad question and you can tell me as much as you want. You're about assessment. You're about measurement. And I think that's really important. Where do you see measurement from needs through outcomes going in the next three to five years from the uh, CME, CE and healthcare uh, perspective? Oh,
2: I think we're going to see a lot more of it just simply because there's a lot more measurement going on in healthcare. Uh, so... Uh, The the, the trick is, uh, what we really need to do more of is use those data and develop as needs assessment for our educational activities, use the performance measures as learning objectives as I mentioned, then you have a very concise measurable objective, and then of course to use them for the outcomes measurement to see if you've made a difference. Of course one educational activity is probably not going to cause a change in practice or a change in a patient's healthcare status, so that's why as, as CME providers we really need to think about integrating those systems-based process improvements along with the education educational interventions so that we do have a comprehensive approach to measurement, improvement, and education.
0: Yeah, to me it just sounds something as simple as know your audience.
2: Right, and for the audience to know themselves. So as you mentioned, they they need to have skills in assessing their own practice before they come to an educational activity.
0: You know, one other thought. Um, What are your thoughts on the role of involving the patient and patient advocacy groups in the continuing education continuum?
2: Well, patient education is certainly a very effective intervention in improving care and engaging those patients in their own care. And again, CME has not done a lot of that. So I think it's an important um, place for them to go and to consider. Uh, In fact, we were having a discussion at one of the sessions here yesterday about whether CME developers should be developing patient education. It's a very different audience. It's a very different method of, of developing education. So one approach might be not necessarily to develop that education for the patient, where there are a lot of consumer advocacy groups that are already doing that, but rather bring it to the attention of the physicians or the trainees in your continuing education um, activities to let them know that those patient resources are available out there and that they should be taking advantage of them.
0: Great. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you. This has been part two of conference coverage highlights from the 37th annual conference of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. I'm Lawrence Sherman on ReachMD XM 167. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.